The world as we know it has fundamentally changed. What was once considered the future of work is here now. We are operating in an all-digital, work-from-anywhere world. More and more consumers are supporting brands that align with their personal values. It's the values-driven firms that will rebound sooner and grow faster in this new world. Salesforce has partnered with Singapore Community Radio to bring you this podcast. We want to explore the opportunities and the challenges of this new world. We want to talk about the ways in which we will work going forward, how businesses can be a platform for change, and how technology will continue to impact the world. We have some amazing thought leaders, executives, and community advocates joining us, and we hope it sparks some inspiration and innovation for you. To learn more about us, you can head to our blog at salesforce.com/ap/blog. Welcome everybody to Future of Work Now. My name is Jess O'Reilly. I'm from Salesforce, and I'm really looking forward to talking to you about tech in hyperspeed. I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Robert Wickham. Uh, Rob is the Vice President of Strategy and Growth at Tableau Asia Pacific and Japan. Welcome, Rob. I'm very excited about the conversation we're about to have.、Um, I think our audience needs to know who is Rob Wickham and how have you gotten to where you are today. So, if we can kick off with a little bit about that. Ah,、oh, well, thank you for having me, Jess. It's such a pleasure and a delight to be having a bit of a chit chat with you here today. So, my story began. Many, many, many years ago in the Caribbean, that's where I was born and bred. And then I started my career in management consulting,、um, data analysts, doing a lot of work there. That brought me to Australia. The reason why that's relevant because I live in Australia now. I met my now Australian wife back then. Spent a little bit of time in North America in the tech startup. Ended up、uh, doing a startup airline,、um, wow. and then joined. Salesforce seven years ago, when many of the people that I had worked with in the past came across the Salesforce. Salesforce was a fast-growing rocket ship back then, and said, "Hey, let's put the band back together." And as they say, proverbially, the rest has been history. So I've done a variety of different things at Salesforce, led some of our specialist teams across the region, and five months ago came across to Tableau to take on responsibility for driving strategy and growth across Asia Pacific and Japan. So that's a very quick tour of my background. Fantastic. My mind's in the Caribbean right now, so I'll, I'll just come back to reality here. But、uh, for, good place to be. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So what we're trying to unpack in this podcast is very much around tech and hyperspeed and how technology has an impact on the the world that we're in today and the reality that we're in. So I'd, I'd love to start our conversation really talking about what your point of view is on this new world, whether that be work or even just in general. Well, it's remarkable, right? Who would have thought fifteen months ago that we would all be working from our homes for the foreseeable future? It was a crazy reality that we find ourselves in in the middle of a global pandemic, and I, we don't need to share what it means to our listeners because I think everyone's lived through current reality in which we find ourselves. But the thing that I think is fascinating is that we have seen in the last year, and maybe in the last six months more so, this incredible acceleration in the adoption and use 
of digital technologies. Mm. I mean, we're having this conversation virtually now over digital platform. It's how we work, how we collaborate, how we stay current with our friends and families. We've seen a, a proliferation of cashless payments across all demographics. And what that also means is that behind every digital transaction and interaction is data. So the rate of change of data, the rate of creation of data has continued to quicken as well. And what this says is that it it creates this this opportunity and child organizations of all sizes. What are you going to do with that data? How are you going to harness it? How are you going to refine it like oil? How are you going to extract insight to deliver better outcomes ultimately for your employees but, but also for your customers. So what, what we're seeing now is the rise of data cultures, data culture being fundamental to organizations around the world. We did a little bit of work with um, YouGov Galaxy, um, just looking at organizations around the region, whether it's Singapore uh, and um, Sydney and other, and other markets, and what we saw is that the majority of organizations that are data-driven, that are beginning to embrace a data culture, feel more optimistic about the future. Interesting. What, what's mm. your hypothesis behind that? Why do you think that is? Well, look, think about it. We're now awash in, in data, and it's a little bit like when we, as a result of the global pandemic, it's as if we've gone through this portal and we've come out of the other side and the world looks a little different. The laws of physics no longer apply. And when you find yourself in that situation, you have to, you got to use new tools to navigate. Yeah. It's a little bit like you're being dropped into the jungle. <laughs> what, what's going to help you find a new path? You need a map and you need a compass. And today what that represents is data being able to look at not only what your employees are telling you through data coming back from surveys, but also what your customers are telling you through the data that they're creating and how are you going to create better interactions and services and become more relevant to them? The answer lies in the data. Mm. So the organizations that have a data culture feel more optimistic about their way to navigate these uncertain times. Somewhere around 82% of data-driven companies in the region reported reaping critical business advantages over those that don't, right? 62% of data companies are optimistic about the the future. So that's really compelling. Mm. So what we're trying to help our customers do is how do you create a data culture within your organization? Rob, let's let's put a pin in that because I think that's a, a really interesting data culture. You talk about data literacy. Let's unpack that a little bit more. What does data culture mean to you? So data culture, on the face of it, it may sound like yet another buzz, right? <laughs> but you know, in there lies the notion of data literacy, right? And literacy in and of itself is can you read and understand data? Can you make sense of it? Can you ask the right questions? Can you fundamentally become a data detective? Right? And when we, when we talk to customers about creating a data culture, we, we encourage them to think about three fundamental pieces to the puzzle. The first is you got to build trust, 
The second is you've got to cultivate talent. And the third is you've got to drive, particularly for the leaders within the organization, you've got to drive commitment from the top down that, that's pervasive. Yeah. So let's take each one of those in turn. First one, you've got to build trust. And trust has a couple of different facets. One is you've got to trust the people within the organization to be the custodians of the data. The notion of data playgrounds as opposed to data prisons. And those two words should describe what I mean. Rob, you're so just playground- hitting us with so many awesome. I'm, I'm like writing notes here. Data culture, <laughs> data playground, well, data tell, prison. You can tell it's a, it's a topic that, 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 that I'm passionate about. I love it. Keep going, keep going. A little bit, little bit of joy, right? <laughs> so, you know, I've got two young kids. I remember, well, they're not young anymore. They're now young teenagers. But I remember when they were kids, you take them to the playgrounds and they get in there with all of their toys and they play with the other kids and they explore. And that's how the learning happens, right? So can you create a similar environment within your organization where employees, everyone, regardless of their role and their skills and their capabilities, have access to the data, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to a data prison where the data is only accessed by a select few it's siloed, it's disjointed, it's locked away, right? So fundamental to that approach is trust. You got to trust the people within your organization that they will do the right thing if they've got access to that data. Of course, you're going to have the right governance and so forth, so you can control privileges and access rights and so forth. But at large, you want to give the opportunity to explore and answer your own questions. So, so that's the first, first point. So can I butt in Go there ahead. just quickly? Sorry. You're on a roll, yeah. by the way, so I don't want to butt in too much. But I'm really interested for our audience to make what we're talking about real. So trust as yeah. a concept, totally get it. Data playground makes sense. For our listeners, like, how have you seen this become real um, from a trust perspective? Is there any stories that you can share that really kind of bring that to life? Well, I was going to come to the, to the other side of the coin of trust is you got to be able to trust the data, yeah, right? And that's part of data literacy because if you're not a data detective, then how do you know the data is valid? And here's a really interesting story that, that will bring that to life. So we did some work a while back with a European um, food service company. Okay. And then the business of providing food to different organizations, many of them are cafeterias, and they were looking, they were beginning to use that data to transform their business, and they wanted to make better inventory decisions. And looking at the data, they said, huh, this is kind of unusual. It seems as though our number one skew in France is the American breakfast burrito. And they thought to themselves, that really doesn't make a lot of sense because we're a French company. We thought it would have been a croissant or baguette or something of <laughs> the that The French nature. definitely wouldn't like that. So, <laughs> so, so after debating it for a while, they said, let's do this. Let's send some of our best people out into the wild, take a look and see what's happening. Data detectives. And what they discovered was fascinating for two points. The first is when they actually went and shadowed the, the people that were cashing out the customers in the cafeterias, they realized that the breakfast burrito is the number one item on the screen. And it's the easiest and the first one for them to push to be to, to go through the path of least resistance and, sit and just wave everyone on. And if you think about that, 
that tees up a couple of really provocative questions. Had they not done that and gone ahead and made decisions based on what the data told them prima facie, they would have had very different um, stock levels than they actually needed. But at the same time, they recognized that they needed to go through the process of educating the people on the front line who are the tip of the spear and the role they play in capturing the data that you need to be able to trust to be able to make the right decision. So that's that's that hopefully should bring to life the the the, the need to trust the data, to be mm. able to trust the data, but also to trust your people and empower them with the data. So that's the first part, build trust. The other is cultivate talent. Talent is is vital to any organization. And today we think that or we advocate that you got to bring people in that have that data literacy. And when you look at your recruiting practices, do your job descriptions call that out? Mm. Do you interview for those skills? So on the front end, are you bringing people? Are you enriching the organization with people that have day one, a data literacy mindset? But secondly, and probably even more importantly, are you creating learning pathways within the organization for your existing employees to continue to develop their skills? Are you creating trails, as we refer to it at Salesforce? You know, so you're seeing organizations like Volkswagen uh, uh, coming out, going all the way of having a data academy where they are moving thousands of employees through annually with data analytics one-on-one training. And you come out of that and you put them into a community because the, it's not a one and done mindset. Yeah. You come out and you create these communities where you can continue to share and learn and get support and so forth so that you can cultivate, that's the operative word, cultivate talent. And then the third bit is commitment. So many of our listeners are probably in a leadership position. You don't have to be the CEO to be a leader. Anyone can be a leader. And then how do you drive commitment within the organization for this data culture mindset? So you're seeing people like um, the CEO of, of Land Rover Jaguar, who says, within our boardroom, I want to have live dashboards mm. so that we're not looking at static PowerPoints when we're making critical decisions. We can explore questions in real time. We don't have to say, come back in two weeks once you've got that answer and you've done the analysis. We make the decision in the moment of truth, looking at real live data. So that's 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 the, the way we encourage organizations to think about it. Build trust, cultivate talent, drive commitment on your path to developing data cultures. I love that. And I think there's so much like practical application of this. I'm thinking of it in my own team and my own world and thinking, you know, how do you, as you said, like everyone is a custodian of data. Um, and I think we, we don't, we don't ask those questions enough in interview processes, nor do we in, um, you know, performance, you know, reviews or talent reviews is, you know, how are you using data to empower your decisions at any level in the organization? So I really like that. And I, I think when you, when you talk about that commitment level, I had a really interesting experience in my own team. I have a, a, a awesome sales team here in Asia and it wasn't until I had them sit into a forecast where we're opening up live dashboards in real time and pulling apart the business 
that they really appreciated the importance of their data inputs at the starting point because that influences everything we decide at the end point here. Oh, so that's why you get that's why you get me to update this, and that's why you're getting it. I think that's sometimes lost in organisations. You know, your 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 uh, French, I'll call it the American sausage French story, is just the best example, right? If you're you're down in the the field and you're saying, you know what, we were just about to send a thousand American sausages over here. <laughs> I think it's it's trying to make that those stories come to life more more and more and I don't think we do it enough so thank you for bringing bringing those practical examples they, they make a lot of sense to me so let's talk about the, the cultivate talent we're talking a lot about talent at the moment and looking at how you know roles have evolved can you talk a little bit more about how you're seeing that um, particularly in the lens of data is it is it certain specializations that we you know need certain training or do you think it's a, a role that we can cultivate across across the organization and how do we well actually actually we're seeing both so we're seeing on on the one hand we're seeing the rise of data within titles of organizations particularly at the c-suite so you're seeing chief data officers there are Mm. many 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 more chief data officers today than there were a decade ago right five years ago two years ago and think about that that that's almost a proxy for what's top of mind within the organization. If we were having this conversation two years ago, we'd probably be talking about the rise of the chief security officer, because that was front of mind of the organization. As we become more cyber first, we need to have someone that has full responsibility of that within the organization. So that's one bit, but separate from that, as I mentioned, it's data literacy is something that should not be the skill of the few, but should be the muscle of the many, right? It's something that we expect, you know, for organizations to really outperform, it has to be something that's fundamental to every employee within the organization. And it's not, and it's not, it's not a far-fetched idea. You touched on it earlier. It's can you ask the right questions? Mm. Can you make data-driven decisions as opposed to gut-driven decisions? Now, the gut plays a major role because that's where your experience resides. But at the same time, when you find yourself in times that we find ourselves now, which, you know, almost black swan events, you know, the gut, the ability of your gut to lead you through becomes less certain, Mm. right? So now you need to say, okay, can I read the tea leaves? Can I interpret what the data is telling me? Not only for my customers, but more importantly for my employees. So some of the, one of the things that we do at Salesforce, and you know this well, is we do these pulse surveys on a weekly yeah. basis to figure out how employees are feeling. And, and we look at trend lines, you know, data literacies. Can you read trends? Can you do cohort analysis? Can you look at rate of change? When you look at your business on a, red amber green status mm. can you can you do you can you think about the business in the right way in terms of what do we need to do to get it back on track that's a data-driven conversation as opposed to an anecdotal conversation yeah so those are the skills that we're seeing really flourish now and when you think about work of the future jobs of the future kids studying for new careers, that would be the advice that we'd be given. Yeah, I love it. I think it's it's a critical component. 
I think we've, we've talked a lot of, uh, today about like the, the culture and how you cultivate that internally. Let's kind of pivot a bit to, you mentioned it earlier, the customer <laughs> um, and how all mm. of these insights and creating this literacy and culture, I mean, ultimately this is for the benefit, not only of our employees, but to the customer. So let's kind of talk about how yes. that looks, like what happens when magic, like when all of these worlds come together, um, how are you seeing that come to life for customers and benefit them better? Well, you, you just used the word there. I think when you get this right, magic happens. Yeah. Right. The fascinating thing, you know, if you can if you can see ourselves past the pandemic, because this two will pass and we'll we'll come out the other side in any normal. But what will be true is we'll continue to accelerate to to a world that's becoming more connected and more intelligent. And as a result of that, organizations Organizations have the ability to create magical experiences for their customers. So our listeners may say, so what, what, what's, he, what's he on about? What's a, what's a magical experience? So I'll, give you a personal, I'll give you a personal example. So a couple of years ago, I took my family to Europe, wife to young kids. And my wife woke up that day and she said, hey, you're in charge of picking lunch, picking somewhere for us to go to lunch. And we were on our way to the Louvre. I said, sure. And I promptly forgot as every spouse would do. And then around 11.30, the kids were getting really feral because only Kristen and myself were enjoying touring the museum. And the kids were like, ah, this is so lame. And Kristen got hyper frustrated. She said, okay, let's get out of here. Take us to the restaurant that you picked. And I thought to myself, I am completely dropped the ball. I <laughs> your your moment to shine. <laughs> no recommendations. And at that very moment, my phone buzzed. And up came a notification from TripAdvisor that said, hungry, true story, hungry, here are five places we think you'd love. And Kristen said, what are you looking at your phone at? What, what's that? And I said, here, yeah, it's magic. <laughs> and if you think about that, that is precisely what we're talking about here. The opportunity to take data, extract insight, take action, deliver outcomes. So they had all the data they needed about me, time of day, preferences, location, power user. So the insight is here are five restaurants in Paris that he would like. But the magic is that they were able to act. Mm. They were able to insert themselves in the moment of truth. If they had sent this notification to me at 7 a.m. before I left the, the hotel, I probably would have ignored it. If they sent it at 7 p.m., I would have been hyper frustrated. But the, the magical experience is that they can send it to me at 11.30 a.m. when I am making about to make a decision. They can insert themselves in the conversation with insight. So the challenge to every organization is listening to this is what's your TripAdvisor moment? Mm -hmm. How are you going to leverage the data that you have within your organization about your customers? bring that together into a reservoir, analyze it, extract the insight, and then deliver personalized, magical experiences to your customer. I love that. That's definitely magic. And I think everyone probably listening is thinking of their magic moment with whatever brand has surprised and delighted you. But I have to say, you know, whenever you're thinking when you're traveling, where to eat, who comes top of mind now? You know, it's that 
that goal of any brand is the the top of mind and I think those surprise delight magic moments just you know saw you right to the top of that list so I, I think one thing I, I I love about this kind of data culture I think I'm going to keep going back to this because I think it's such a a good thing for us to all remember is sometimes I think brands need to make a, a stance internally and externally that data is the center and I don't know if I've shared this story with you before Rob but we have a fantastic customer in the Philippines called Cebu Pacific Airlines and um, mm. I remember probably three or four years ago they were remodeling their office and their executive floor was about to be built where in normal circumstances you'd have all these different kind of big grand offices and you know no one would probably go up there unless they were called and you know, the CEO at the time and the, and the leadership team said, you know what, we want to make a stance to our customers that and our employees that we, you know, we are interested and de- devoted to having you at the centre of everything. And so instead of all these big offices, they kind of pushed their offices to the side and out the back kind of areas and created somewhat of a fishbowl at that executive mm. layer um, that had huge screens, that had all of the different data and dashboards, whether it be internal um, information about flights all the way through to kind of you know external customer feedback loops like social media, et cetera. Um, and I remember being at the PR launch of this and you know there was external people all the employees were excited and and it was just such a I guess a really awesome reminder and a, and a, a I guess a stance by the organization to say you know we care we are listening <laughs> and we're going to use data to make decisions to your point not just gut but data so I don't know if you've got any additional stories about like this but I think for all of our, our listeners it's it's not just about taking the theory how do we actually make it practical and make it super real in our organizations today and I, I guess that story came to mind so I don't know if you've got any other Cebu Pacific ideas but that to me was quite a memorable you know stance on on data and making it well we, we we continue to collect because these stories uh, yeah. are really exciting but one that comes to mind is AIS the um, the telco in Thailand mm. right and there that goes back to the, the, the three principles that we talked about trust talent commitment and the CEO who is trying to drive a data culture mindset within the organization, realizes that to, to, to many people, this can be intimidating, right? You come into an organization, you're like, wait, I'm not a data scientist. What's this all? What's all of this narrative about data culture? Am I going to lose my job? The reality is it's just a new way of working, asking the right questions. So he said, let's, let's find ways to get our employees comfortable. Let's find ways to gamify. Let's have, a data visualization challenge and I I'm going to sponsor it. In fact, he wanted to be a contestant and they said, that's not going to be fair because we'd have to make sure that you win. So <laughs> you can be a judge. So he became a judge and now he, they run this multiple years and employees lean in to that along the lines of gamification. It, it reminds me of Southwest airlines in North America. So they were trying to push on their on-time departure, which is one of the, most important KPIs for the airline. And in order to do that, they knew that many parameters had to be looked at. So their thought was, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna, we're gonna give iPads to all of our employees, whether they're customer service agent, their baggage handler and so forth, so they can check the KPIs. And immediately they were like, wow, you're, you're inundating us with data. This seems really intimidating. We don't really wanna do this. So I said, let's, let's sort of find a, an easier glide path for them by gamifying it. So they took a number of data sets, 
everyone watches Survivor. So they started to give them the data sets on Survivor so they can start um, nominating their analyzing and figuring out who might be the last standing survivor. They started to do gamification of the most popular uh, kids' names in, in, in the current year. All what they were trying to do was to get their employees comfortable with exploring and playing with data and asking questions and answering questions. And that's fundamentally what's at the core of a data culture, being comfortable exploring data sets and asking questions and answering your own questions. And guess what? They went from three people responsible for data within the organization to more than 3,000 people <laughs> with iPads. And obviously, on-time departure went up and everyone was happy. So those are just a couple of examples of this is this went with the right sponsorship, leadership, commitment, focused on trust, talent, and commitment you too can create an organization with a strong, thriving data culture. Mm. Thanks for sharing. So the big, bold question, Rob, what does the future of data analy and analytics look like? Oh, well, um, with, with, with a grand, with the grand um, caveat that I'm not a futurist, but I do have a crystal ball. Um, <laughs> look, I... I'm excited about a future where no one is excited about data and analytics. And think about that for a second. If we were having a chat for the last 30 minutes on electricity, our listeners will probably click off and go somewhere else. And they'll go, that is such a boring topic. <laughs> but electricity is fundamental to everything that we do in the world today. If the power grid went down, there'll be pandemonium. It powers everything in our homes and it powers everything in our, in our work lives. And I'm excited about a future where data and analytics becomes equally significant within the fabric of society, but equally boring where it's commonplace to everyone, regardless of their skills and their roles and their capabilities, that you, you just, of course we use data. Of course we analyze data. Of course we make data-driven decisions. That's the future that I'm excited about. So provocative. We've just spent 30 minutes talking about data and then you basically say <laughs> the future is uh, is not that we ever ever have to talk about it. But I think it's it's provocative, right? It's it's exactly the way we need to to be thinking about it. And um, I guess I challenge all of our listeners. Let, let's really take the the learnings that that Rob has shared. And Rob, do you want to just go through those three top things again? It's trust. I'll let you take over. Build, build, build trust within the organization and trust from two dimensions. One is trust your people with the data, but then also you've got to be able to trust the data that you're looking at to make decisions. Two is cultivate talent, bring people, continue to bring people within the organization that have that mindset, but create pathways for your employees to continue to improve their skills. Yeah. And then third is drive commitment. Leaders throughout the organization continue to drive commitment, create communities to evangelize the mindset that you're looking to build. Awesome. So we're coming to the end here, Rob. This is kind of part of my favorite 
aspect of the podcast and I haven't briefed you on any of this, but have you listened to a Brene Brown pod- podcast before? I have not. So okay. I'm now getting a little bit anxious Get really nervous. No, fire. you don't. <laughs> Um, Brene does an amazing thing at the end of her podcast where she asks her guests um, a rapid fire five questions or more importantly it's actually sentences so I'm going to start a sentence and I want you to end the sentence with whatever comes to mind as I say it so are you ready here's your rapid fire five okay here we go, here we go. <laughs> bring it on I am most grateful for I am most grateful for my health. The last meal that really satisfied me was? The last meal that really satisfied me was dinner with my wife at the neighborhood Italian restaurant down the street. Perfect. Pasta, pizza, what are we talking? We were talking about a little cotoletta. Oh, very good. Very good. The last book that made you stop to think was? Oh, that's easy. Sapiens. Oh, okay. I wish society would change dot, dot, dot. I wish society would change their view on gender equity. Interesting. And I'm most excited for? I'm most excited for my son's cricket season next year. Uh, that's you, you made it through my rapid fire five well done Rob. that was <laughs> very good and thank you for sharing so much today um, of your learnings and your journey what would be the last thing you want to say in in the context of tech and hyperspeed before we wrap up today well first of all thank you for um, the opportunity to spend some time uh, today and to um, to share our point of view with your listeners and what I would say is this too, it goes back to what I said earlier, this too will pass. We are certainly together living in very challenging times, but at the same time, we accelerate into a world that's going to be even more exciting and even more compelling on the other side. So it's, it's only, only ways up. <laughs> awesome. Correct. Thank you so much, Rob. So good to have a chat with you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Jess.